You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And we're live on a Monday morning. Holy moly. Michigan State just beat Michigan. And I'm here with my co-host, as always, Scott. Uh, I want to start here before we get into this game. I want to start with a nice piece of audio fresh uh, this morning on a Monday morning. Hopefully this makes everybody feel just as delightful as I do right now. And did you realize that Simmons, Antoine Simmons, was that good of a player? Antoine Simmons, move up. 34, I think, was his number. I mean, I wasn't really worried about him. I mean, he's a heck of a player, but wasn't on my radar. Joe Milton was asked about you, and he said he's not on my radar. Um, I mean, it don't matter. Paulie B's back with us. So, I mean, I don't know what those guys do over there, but uh, but uh, we study our opponent. We know who we're playing against. Um, so, I mean, I don't care if I'm on Joe Milton's radar or not. You know what I mean? He's just a quarterback who plays – here at, at, at Michigan. The is back on baby Joe Milton with somehow after getting his ass kicked at home as a 25 point favorite is cocky. I, I don't get it. Uh, but man, Pauly B's back home. Paul Bunyan's back in East Lansing. Scott, how are we doing on a lovely Monday morning? I don't know how you could be any better, Kevin. This was to say it was unexpected would be obviously an understatement. We're in a good mood and we are going to have some fun today. Man, it's, I, I like, we have so many things to get to. We're going to start basically with the focus on the actual game itself. Uh, we'll take that to kind of a big picture and, you know, really see where, what this leads to for the season or, or for the program as a whole. But, Man, it's just we we both went back and rewatched this game this morning. Obviously, last night, you know, you're having a few beers, you're emotional. I mean, you don't really remember every single part of it. So you go back and rewatch it, and it's just such a great performance. Mel Tucker's first win as a Michigan State head coach is in Ann Arbor on the road as a 25-point underdog. I, I you can't write a better story, you can't envision a better scenario. And the best part about it, there was no gimmicks. There was no bullshit. There was no fluky finish. We just, we won the game. And that's, that's kind of my biggest takeaway and the word, the place I want to start because from the beginning, it was just, uh, if, if, if we weren't a 25 point underdog, we, there was no doubt 
right? The only reason that there was a doubt is because of the feelings going into the game. But besides that, there was never really a moment if you were just kind of looking at team A versus team B on the field. It was never in doubt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was well-rounded. Like you said, no gimmicks. There were no turnovers. All three phases of the game were close. Uh, and, and Michigan State just made more plays. And um, obviously, like you said, we'll get into the details in this game a little bit. But I was floored. I mean, I, we saw improvements out of every position group on the field for Michigan State. You know, there was there was a quiet voice in the back of my head this week saying, you know, what if, you know, what if Michigan just had a really good game? Michigan or Minnesota is is worse than we thought, um, and they just caught them on a bad week. And, and what if Michigan State really does have the tools and just really shot themselves in the foot last week with those turnovers against Rutgers? Maybe Rutgers is a little better than we thought, but I don't really want to go down that uh, <laughs> that train of thought. But uh, I didn't want to give that voice credence. You know, it's a dangerous place. Obviously, it happens all the time with underdog fans. You're thinking like, oh, maybe we are just better than everyone thinks, and maybe they're just worse than everyone thinks. It usually doesn't work out, and you usually end up disappointed. I guess that's the voice we should have been listening to this week. I mean, that's exactly what showed up on the field. Um, you know, yes, I guess for us yesterday, for those listening a couple of days ago. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, it was, it was a beautiful game. So I know looking back, like you said, we both rewatched this game. Uh, you gave a little bit more attention to the defense. I gave a little bit more attention to the offense as we went through. But so let's, let's start on offense. You know, I'll break it down a little bit more, but from your perspective, kind of what were the big things that stuck out to you watching our offense? Yeah, so, and, and really quick, just as a heads up for the people, uh, I, we are having a little bit of technical if, issues. So if, if you're um, wondering why the sound quality isn't as good as normal, my microphone is, is kind of on the fritz. So I went to the Apple headphones here today, so it's a little bit low budget, but um, we're going to fight through it. But uh, yeah, on the offensive side, I mean, look, they, they realized that this Michigan secondary was beatable and they just started chucking the ball downfield. And I loved it. I mean, you weren't going to beat this team running the ball. We saw that. I think our running backs finished the game with 83 yards on 28 carries. Uh, so the running game wasn't really there. And even the short passing game didn't really find a whole lot of success either. Uh, where we were winning was down the field and Ricky White and Jalen Naylor combined for 10 catches, 264 yards and a touchdown, 26 and a half yards per catch between the two of those guys who, who were making plays left and right. But I, that's really where it starts and ends for me is as you go back, like you said, I was focusing more on the defense as I was rewatching it. Uh, but man, you just go back and see Rocky chucking the ball downfield and these receivers making great plays. Like I said, I saw improvement in every in every group. I think most notably the offensive line, uh, which was a combination of better play and the coaches did a lot more, in my opinion, to protect them this game. Um, you, you know, we first of all were without Matt Allen. That was kind of like a pregame drop on our heads. Uh, that was a little scary. Nick Samack, um, sophomore interior lineman came in to fill in and I thought he did an absolutely phenomenal job doing it I mean yeah we didn't have that cock nose that Matt Millen was so fond of speaking of last week but you know going into this game everyone was expecting uh, Michigan's defensive line to absolutely dominate and 
you know, they just didn't. They didn't get penetration. They did what they needed to against uh, the running game, like you said, but with a lot of help from their second line, their linebackers and safeties. And I think that was kind of an underrated uh, point in this game that really opened things up for us is that Don Brown was keeping his safeties in the box to help in the run game. He wasn't letting them play over the top and putting his corners on islands out there. So, you know, when you look at this run game, obviously we would want to to have a more effective running game. Obviously, everybody knows the stats about, uh, you know, winning the running game wins this game. Actually, we lost in the running yard, the rush yarded battle this, this game and, and won. So that was kind of a, an outlier in the series. But, you know, when you look at this game, they really, really committed to, and Jim Harbaugh said as much in the, in the post game that they were committed to stopping the run. And they did that for the most part. We averaged like 3.3 yards per carry. You know, not, not as bad as Rutgers and not horrible, but certainly not going to win you a football game. But the reason we rushed that poorly was because they were stacking the box and leaving the receivers open. And I think they underestimated the athleticism of our receivers. I don't think anyone could have predicted what we saw from Ricky White. And throwing, as much as it sounds backwards to say that throwing the ball deep like that made it easier on Rocky, when we asked Rocky to hit tight windows in short yardage situations, he was struggling. I thought his footwork was pretty iffy throughout the game. He was throwing off his back foot quite a bit. But when those receivers got one or two steps behind their corners with nobody over the top, you open up an enormous throwing space for Rocky Lombardi to hit. He, all he has to do is get it in the general vicinity. The receivers did a great job of holding their position once they got their corners behind them. And the ball just came down like a Russell Wilson teardrop over and over. And, I mean, I think Michigan fans have every right to get after Don Brown for not making adjustments. It was obvious in the first half that's what we were going to attack. We came out in the second half and, they hardly did anything to fix it. So, well, if you listen to um, Joel Klatt, the 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 penalties were just you know the standard grabbing, holding, and interfering that they usually get away with, rather than the grabbing, holding, and interference that they called this game. So, um, a, a little bit fluky, I guess, in that sense. In that, you know, the refs were actually calling when their guys were draped all over our receivers and, and giving them a flag for fifteen yards. Yeah, and the penalties, of it, they made a lot of those penalties. Joel Klatt was getting absolutely dragged by MSU Twitter, uh, at least throughout the first half. You know, I looked back and I tried to keep an eye on the penalties as we went through this game. And I have to say the first couple calls against Michigan's secondary, one of them was a bad call, that first pass interference. I didn't think they should have thrown the flag. The defensive holding, you might argue it was a 50-50 call. I actually thought that was another one that probably shouldn't have been thrown. So those are a couple right off the bat that obviously put a sour taste in Michigan's mouth. Uh, but the rest of the game, I mean, you had that simulated snap count by McGrone, which was just strange. And you could hear it on the, on the game audio. You could hear him yell, go. And he had his uh, defensive tackles shift right when he yelled, go. You could claim he's trying to make an adjustment, but yelling go when our offense is sitting in their pre-snap hold, I mean, it, it's just not going to fly, especially when you get that errant snap. Um, and the rest of the pass interference, defensive holding, everything. I mean, really the refs had a pretty good game as far as the calls they were making uh, throughout the game. So, and there were definitely some calls that went against Michigan, those two blindside blocks against Naylor. I guess maybe that's how they're calling the rule. But I thought that rule was more, you got a defender running with his head turned and somebody comes in from the other side and t uses his momentum against him. All Naylor did was come into a stationary player and knock him down. From the side. That's so. those drove me nuts. I, I think 
those are a play that the way that the rule is formulated, like you said, was not for those situations because that's a play where I know Josh Ross was the linebacker on one of them. I can't remember who was the other one where that's just a defensive player who doesn't have his head up and isn't paying attention to what's going on around him. And he got, you know, Jalen Naylor made him pay for it. There was nothing dirty about it. He didn't go up high. He didn't go get him from behind. I, I thought those calls were both bullshit, but I, I guess that's, if you want to, if you want to interpret the rules that way as a referee, I look, I get it, but I, I just think that's not, that's not the type of play that that rule was made for. Yeah. And so, you know, that's, that's just another one that I think we get to, we get to complain about if Michigan's complaining about those close PI calls, there was another call late in the game, that clipping when we were on the goal line where um, I think it was Matt Carrick just went low on his guy. He wasn't engaged. He wasn't behind him or anything. Just went low, knocked him down. They called a clipping and backed us up to like a 17 or 18 yard line. But you know what? We overcame that. We threw that screen to, to Hayward there at the end. Nick Samack had a great block. He came out from center. He went all the way out to the flat and blocked. I believe it was a DB for Michigan all the way to the sidelines, opening up the, the lane for Hayward to take it to the house. So, um, you know, there were bad calls both ways. We made up for it. We overcame them. They didn't. So um, say what you want about the rest. Maybe there was, you could say, a slight lean towards Michigan State when it was all said and done for the rest. But you can't blame it, you know, losing a, a game where you're favored by three touchdowns on a couple of iffy calls. So, yeah, um, yeah I don't want to make too much more out of the penalties. Yeah, I was going to say to go back to the, the main story here, which is the offense, I, I got to start here by one. I got to eat a little bit of crow. My, my takes on Rocky Lombardi uh, were, were pretty harsh after last week. And Scott, I got to give you some credit for sticking up for him uh, and saying, you know, you put it all into context. And I look, you, you come out of this game, like you said, I think the game plan made it pretty simple for him. You didn't ask him to, to diagnose the defense and, and try to pick apart them you know 10 15 yards at a time the plays that he made were hey you got one-on-one coverage throw it I I don't care if it's Jalen Naylor I don't care if it's Jaden Reed if it's Ricky White you get one-on-one coverage down the field throw the ball and if that's look we have the talented wide receivers to do it I, I mean say what you want about Michigan's secondary certainly they're not the best group in the Big Ten and we've learned that pretty pretty clearly but those are more talented defensive backs at the end of the day than we're going to be seeing most of the season outside of your Ohio States or Penn States. I mean, those are more talented guys than you're going to play against Indiana against Northwestern and our receivers just torched them all game long. So if that's going to be the game plan of, we know we have the talent at wide receiver, Rocky, just give them a chance to make plays. I love it. And he managed the game really well. Uh, he had a couple big plays on third down. He didn't take any sacks, really. He he didn't force any turnovers. And at the end of the day, if that's going to be the way that we're going to play, he's absolutely capable of leading the offense if this is how we're going to structure it. Yeah, yeah. And look, when you look at these wide receivers, I mean, <clears throat> we'll get to Ricky White for a couple minutes, but, you know, it could have been worse for Michigan. Jalen Naylor was targeted 10 times. He struggled to make adjustments on a couple. He only had two catches. He had one went through his hands late in the game. Uh, it was a little high, but it did go through his hands, so you'd expect him to bring it down. He had that deep ball in the first quarter that he was behind his guy and just seemed to 
just stumble while he was trying to turn his body and adjust to it. Probably would have been a 50 plus yard play, uh, maybe even a touchdown if he can stay on his feet. Um, Jaden Reed was quiet. He had a couple uh, conversions late in the game that, that ended up being pretty big, but all in all, really wasn't very involved this game. And that brings us to Ricky White. Um, injuries are never a good thing. I hope Trey Mosley can bounce back quickly. I don't think we saw him at all. He did dress, but uh, I, I didn't see him out there for any of the snaps. Um, and, and Ricky White got a shot and made the most of it. And, I mean, he's got enough speed. He runs routes well. He's a true freshman, and there's certainly areas that he's, you know, has to improve. But I think the one thing that stood out to me is just ball skills. When you look at a wide receiver or even a cornerback and, and what you want in them, you want them when the ball is coming down, you know, in one-on-one -on -one coverage, they're going to have the ball skills to bring it down. And that's exactly what he had. The first touchdown, dude was draped on him. He put his body in a position, brought the ball down. That last deep one he caught down by the corner, uh, the right corner was – I still don't know how he brought it down. He was falling away. The ball just seemed to just drop into his lap. And I, I didn't think there was a chance he had it. And then, you know, he just popped up with it. That so, was even rewatching it where I was like, I know exactly what happens on this play, but there's no way he catches that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have no idea how he does it. Hopefully it's not an aberration, you know, hopefully it's a breakout for it, but, but, you know, a sign of things to come. Uh, we, we'll certainly see he's going to be, you know, a guy that other teams are going to be paying attention to now, which, you know, could play to his favor or not. Um, but all in all, I mean, we've got three really athletic receivers in Naylor, Reed, and White. They're all kind of similar builds, similar playing styles, and totally interchangeable. So when you spread those guys across the field, it puts a ton of pressure on whoever's covering them to, you know, all the way across the field. You need three, four, five defenders that are ready to go against top tier athletes and uh it's going to be interesting and fun to see us using them to pressure these defenses throughout the season and i think that athleticism on the offensive side of the ball uh is what ended up winning us this game um now i know like like i said you went through the defense a little bit uh more in depth as you rewatched it i think as we get into the defense i'll just i'll just throw one thing out there and let you take it away this was the best tackling performance I can remember from a Michigan State team. It was incredible. They kept everything in front of them, and it seems like every time a Michigan State defender got within reach of a ball carrier, that guy was going to the ground. But uh, let me know, you know, what did you see from this defense? Yeah, and, and really quick, just there was one more point I wanted to make about the offense here is that they, the entire game, of course, no turnovers. Uh, the other key thing I saw was, there was only two three and outs and both of them were in the first half. So that just goes back to Rocky, you know, just at, at least able to move the ball down the field. And even when they were put in bad spots inside their own five yard line, inside the 20, um, they just kept making plays. But going back to your point on the defense, absolutely. That was one of the first things I wrote down is that these guys were rallying to the ball and they were not allowing, I didn't see a single big play by the Michigan offense. I mean, Milton, Joe Milton had 300 passing yards and he had to work for those 300. There was no 50 yards down the field. It was six yards of completion and it was about six yards on every completion there. I think their longest play from scrimmage was like 18 yards. I mean, it was just, uh, it was a technician's dream on defense of just watching these guys go to work and tackling. But, um, yeah, I, I was keying in on the defense. Uh, the 
the fact that they did this all with no turnovers too, I mean, it just makes it even more impressive. Now, one thing that as I was going back, the one thing I wanted to key in on was who was really making the plays for this defense? Because, you know, we saw Antoine Simmons and of course he had an unbelievable game and, and it only got better as you watched it back completely sober in the morning with your coffee he was just every play he was there and it was unbelievable, but you know, who were the other guys that were making plays? So I kept track. I watched every single defensive snap and I kept track of any time that I saw somebody it's, it's a subjective measure, but anytime I saw a play and whether that's a tackle for loss, whether that's a, a broken up pass, whether that's just a great tackle in the open field, you know, not allowing a guy to, to, to make a play after the catch, Uh, whether that's collapsing the pocket and forcing Joe Milton to move around and and getting some pressure on him, whether it was a sack or not. Again, this is pretty subjective, but you go through it, man. um, And it's pretty eye-opening. Dominique Long had one play. I noticed Michael Dowell had one. Trey Person had one. Michael Fletcher had one. Tyler Hunt had one. uh, Xavier Henderson had a couple. Shakur Brown had a couple. One more. Uh, if he, he would have, you know, kept his head a little bit more and, and avoided that penalty, Chris Jackson had a couple, um, but then you start getting to, uh, Jacob Slade had four plays that really stood out that, you know, he was collapsing the pocket that he made a tackle in the backfield. Deshaun Mallory had five plays that just were unbelievable. Drew Beasley had seven, Naquan Jones had four, Jacob Panasuk had eight, Antoine Simmons had 14. And it was just every time you saw a play being made on the defense, you, you rewind it. And, you know, we, we both are rewatching this on Hulu. You have the, the quick, you know, you can rewind it 10 seconds and you go back real quick and say, okay, who, who was, who was making that play? Where did he start from? And like 90% of the times it was Antoine Simmons, just from all over the field, coming across the formation, going to the backfield, making plays in the passing game. It was unbelievable, an unbelievable performance by Antoine Simmons. It's it's an all Big Ten type performance. It's an NFL type performance. And that's the biggest thing that stands out is this kid is the more you watch it, the better it looks. And I, I said it in the preseason that this kid should be like a second round NFL draft pick. And uh, he's definitely done everything in, in his power to, to prove that right. So, um, you know, we talked about the tackling. We talk about some of these great performances, but to do it all with no turnovers again, it just makes it more impressive. And it was in clutch situations. I mean, other than Antoine Simmons, the obvious one, um, as, as you were going back and, and watching it, who, who stood out to you? I know you mentioned a couple guys in the, in our group text. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you said, Simmons, phenomenal game. MSU fans may have come to expect it, which is certainly not fair to him, but um, <laughs> he put himself in that situation where, you know, going into the games, you just know he's going to be making plays, and that's exactly what he did. I think someone who had a phenomenal bounce-back game was Noah Harvey. Uh, last week, he looked a little lost. There were a few plays where he didn't seem to be looking in the right direction, didn't seem to know the play call or know what his responsibility was. He blocked himself a couple times, opening up holes for the Rutgers running back. This game, I there was no plays like that that I, that I caught. He was early in the game, first and second quarter, in the backfield a lot. He was skimming by uh, blocks from – uh, the great Ben Mason that, you know, Joel Klatt is so fond of. <laughs> the and Gooch. That Gus Johnson wouldn't stop calling the Gooch on live television. I was dying, uh, man. But, yeah, no, Noah Harvey, 
he had a, one and a half tackles for loss, but I mean, defensive stats typically don't tell the whole story. He was exactly where he needed to be the whole game, plugging holes. And for me, the thing that really set the tone for this defense was just the defensive line collapsing the pocket. You look at why didn't Joe Milton have the same game he had last week? Because every single time he dropped back, his offensive linemen were getting pushed back into his face. He had to leave the pocket. He was trying to make throws on the run. He certainly was not as accurate throwing on the run. He was uncomfortable the whole game. And, and every position and every guy who got snaps on that defensive line made plays and made his life uncomfortable. We yes. didn't have a lot of sacks. I think we only ended up with one technically. I, I know the scorekeepers were being a little bit unfavorable to our linemen because uh, he was tucking the ball and starting to run when he got pressured. And I think they're typically, you know, marking that just as I hate loss. that. But, that uh, that's you know, one we, of my biggest pet peeves in all of football is the whoever's keeping the stats of no, no, no. That's, that's just a negative rushing play. It's like, no, no, no. He dropped back, took a three-step drop, sat in the pocket. And then as soon as somebody like touched him on the shoulder, he took two steps forward and, and just happened to get sacked for less yardage. Like that's, that's not a, yeah. I, that drives me nuts. Yeah. I, I think realistically we had, we had four or five tackles for loss on passing plays. Um, we only got one and apparently we only got two QB hurries on the stat. Book, yeah, that's, which again, that's just insane. <laughs> insane. Um, but I digress. He was uncomfortable the whole game. Um, he could not, throw the ball down the field with, with any accuracy, which was the not the criticism of him from last week, but the big question mark coming out of his performance against Minnesota was, well, we didn't really see what he could do while, when he was looking downfield. And like you mentioned, you know, he only had a couple plays where they were completed over 10 yards beyond the sticks. A lot of times he was throwing the ball way over his guy and even over the entire secondary um, or just missing guys throwing it in the dirt when he was uncomfortable. So, you know, we got him to move his feet and it was really effective and it worked to our advantage the whole game. And we committed to stopping the run, which I think was another concern for our team coming out of last week is how, well, not so much a concern from our team, but you know, something that came out of the Minnesota Michigan game that we were worried about was, wow, they really have a dynamic backfield. Um, and like you said, no big plays a Michigan ball carrier never got behind our defense. We kept everything in front of us. We tackled well in space. I thought the secondary looked phenomenal. I mean, Trey Person, um, Shakur Brown, both guys that I kept noticing coming up and making plays in the flats for short yardage. And it seems like every time a Michigan ball or a Michigan receiver, you know, grabbed the ball and brought it down before he could turn his body and take two steps to start making a move, there was a guy tackling him already. So really, really, really great fundamental probably uh, deserve to give a lot of credit to the coaches, Scotty Hazleton and all the position group coaches on that defense for just having those guys ready, fundamentally sound tackling, big hitting, being where they need to be, not letting guys get behind them. And uh, we just, you know, held Michigan at bay and the offense made just enough plays. Yeah. It was just great team defense. Like you said, people swarming to the ball. There was always one or two guys there rallying and it was just constantly there. Um, a couple other things I wrote down, you mentioned the running game, their running backs had 84 yards on 21 carries, like exactly four yards a carry. So a great job by the defense, really trying to force them to be one dimensional. And like you said, Joe Milton on some of those deep balls, it looked like me on the driving range in like late March when you, you can finally, the weather starts turning and you're like, all right, you know, it's uh, golf seasons around the corner. 
it's been a few months. Let's, let's, uh, let's see how we're doing. And you're just spraying that ball all over the range left and right. Yeah. And that was him on some of those deep balls, man. He, he overthrew like the entire the entire defensive backfield and his receivers by like 25 yards on some of those. But yeah, one other note that I want specifically about the defense, and then we'll just kind of talk about this game in general, because there's a couple other momentum type points that I want to make here. Um, the way that they were disguising blitzes and they, they referred to preseason they referred to this kind of chaos formation where you just get like one down lineman or two down linemen and then you get everybody else around the line of scrimmage and you're not really showing who's coming and who's dropping back you know you get Noah Harvey and and Antoine Simmons up in the a gap you get Chase Klein on the edge and you just don't know who's coming and who's staying they did an awesome job of that They, they kept the offensive line confused the entire game they forced a lot of one-on-one matchups to our good pet. You know, you, you get a one-on-one matchup with Na- Naquan Jones. He's going to make some, you know, he's going to make his presence felt in the backfield. You get a one-on-one matchup with, with Jacob Panishuk, he's going to make you pay. So that was just an awesome job. And it wasn't just on third down. They were doing that on first and second down as well. So I hope that's a wrinkle that we continue to see as the season goes on. It was something that Scotty Hazleton showed on film quite a bit at Kansas state last year. So I really liked that. That was a note I made a couple of times where it's just, you keep confusing this offensive line and especially an inexperienced group that, that only returned one starter from last year. That's the way to, to manipulate pressure and, and keep Joe Milton, like you said, just, you know, always uncomfortable the entire game. He was uncomfortable and you just saw that play out time and time again. So um, a couple, not even getting to the bigger picture points is still just kind of talking straight about this game, because there's a couple moments that I think were, if we just kind of took out a couple, what are the key moments of this game? What was a key drive? What what was the key play? Um, what was the first way? If I said to you, Scott, there's one key play in this game, or there's one key drive in this game. Is there anything that stands out to you immediately? Yeah, the first thing that comes to my mind is uh, the first touchdown catch by Ricky White. Um, we had we were moving the ball. We had one good run by uh, Jordan Simmons that was, I think it was about 30 yards. Uh, speaking of that, actually, Matt Carrick had a phenomenal block where he came from his right guard position across the defensive backfield and sealed off the left side to open a channel for him. But, yep, and it was you know, Jordan Simmons that, for 28 yards right at the middle. Yeah, yeah. And that set up, the, I think it was a 31-yard touchdown to Ricky White. Um, that was Ricky White's breakout play, right? If this was his breakout game, that was the play that everyone was like, whoa, that kid, he's got game. Um, and it was a great throw, but it was a better catch. Like I said, he, he uses his body really, really well to get in front of his coverage and, and shield the coverage from the ball. Um, you know, he's a falling play at the sideline in the end zone. But I think more beyond all the technical aspects of that play, it was it was really the play that, you know, put Michigan on notice that, listen, you may have been overlooking us a little bit, but we're here to play. We have athletes and you're going to have to make plays to stop us. And, you know, it was that gut punch that you're looking for when you're an underdog to come out, you know, come out of the tunnel and, and hit them where it hurts right off the bat. And that's exactly what they did. And the rest of the game followed a similar format. But that play really, I think, <laughs> more than – it not only caught – Michigan and their fan base and everyone off guard. I think it caught the Michigan State fans off guard. You know, being on Twitter throughout the game and talking with 
other fans and everything, it was kind of this moment of like, wait, should we, how should I feel about this game? Like, <laughs> I thought this was just going to be like a fun, oh, get whooped, but laugh about it. And like, you know, just enjoy, try to enjoy watching our guys. And then all of a sudden this play happens. And I'm sure this was a similar feeling along the sidelines. But for me, it was like, oh, um, I guess we can make plays. Maybe we can make enough to win. And then obviously as, as the game played out, it got more and more uh, even um, in everybody's minds. And, and it just became who can make the play. So for me, that's the first thing that stood out. I don't know if you had the same thoughts. Yeah, that's so real quick. We we were on a, a Zoom call before the game with a, a couple of our buddies that are spread out all around the country. And uh, that was one thing that I mentioned. Like I, I was starting to get really not not confident, but you were getting your brain to a point where you're like, you know what? Like there's, there's something stinky about this game where I got a funny feeling, you know, we can hang around and you, you just, like you said, at the beginning of this podcast, you, you just kind of tried to push those aside. Cause you're like, no, come on. Like, let's be real here. Um, and, and we were talking in the, in the zoom call and I made a comment that basically all it would take for me to, you know, when, when this game opened, all it would take is like a seven yard run where we just open up a good hole running back burst through, we get seven yards on like the first drive and, and my confidence will be all the way in and my emotional state will be very unstable and dangerous. And we came out with a three and out and then we punted the ball and it was a bad punt. We gave up field position on the 40 yard line. And you're thinking like, uh Oh, this is, I was hoping to at least get a quarter, you know, like this, this is going to snowball quickly. But then, you know, Jacob Panishuk has a tackle for loss and a sack uh, on that first U of M drive. They go three and out. And then we go four plays, 71 yards in a minute, 14 off the clock and just move the ball down the field and score. And you're like, okay, well, uh, here we go. Hey, you know, like you said, yeah, I, I don't really know what to feel, but hey, you know, that's something. Michigan comes right back. They go on an 88-play, 60-yard drive with Corum scoring that touchdown run. And I texted in our group chat like, oh, shit, this Corum kid, I mentioned it in the pregame, like he exploded to that corner. And that that was one of those like, okay, hey, we, we moved the ball. We got a nice deep ball. Okay, but their playmakers are fast. I, I don't know what we can do here. Um, and, and that was kind of the beginning of the game for me was just – like, uh, I don't, I don't know. You're, you're just not completely sold that we really have a chance after that Michigan touchdown. Uh, but, but we, we, we get through the first half, we're still leading and you're thinking to yourself like, okay, we're, we're leading coming into halftime. The, the Fox halftime crew is giving us no credit for that, but that's okay. You know, we're, we're leading oh and coming God. into half. Uh, we come out of halftime. We force a three and out. And then our first play from scrimmage on offense is a 50 yard bomb to Ricky white. And that was it for me where I'm like, you come out of halftime force a three and out. And then your first offensive play is 50 yards down the field. That's the moment where I was like, guys, we're winning this game. Like that, that was, that was the point where it wasn't even like, all right, Hey, we, we really have a shot. That was no, 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 we're winning this game. I, I throw away the underdog, throw away the points. That was the moment for me where it, it really all turned in my head from, 
hey, we can just we keep hanging around, we can keep hanging around to this game's over. And like as silly as that sound, that that's exactly where my head was at at that point. And we ended up getting a field goal on that drive that that extended our lead to 17 to 10. And Michigan even scored on the next play and the next drive, but it, it didn't matter because that was the point where, you know, you hung around the whole first half, but we've seen it time and time again in the, in the sport of football where a team can put together a good half, but can they come out of the tunnel and, and put them away in the third quarter? And that was the moment where you could tell whatever worked, whatever happened in that halftime speech, whatever happened in that locker room, I don't think it was a whole rah-rah thing. I, I think it was just Mel went in there and was like, guys, we're winning this game because we're the better team. Uh, let's come out in the second half, keep doing what we're doing because we're going to put the, put our foot on the throat and we're going to put this thing away. So, I mean, that was, that was really the play. That was the drive for me that really flipped the momentum. And, and there was a bunch of other stuff that, that happened here as well. But um, you know, going back to like key plays, key drives, other than that first drive, you know, as we kind of get into the second half here, what stood out to you? Yeah. Well, before we get into the positive, if there's one contrary to what you were just discussing, the play that sold it, if there was one play in the second half where I was like, oh, no, we really are, we're going to let them back in this. This is where it falls apart. And I'm not putting this on Matt Coughlin because he's been good. But when he missed that 40-yard field goal, I think it was in the fourth quarter, early fourth quarter, Yep. I was deflated. I was like, Ah, oh, you can't leave points on the board. You can't give up good field position. It just, it was one of those momentum plays where I think if there was a crowd in the big house, we would have been in trouble because Michigan's defense had been struggling. They get their stop. And then we miss a chance to get points on the board. I think at that point, it was only a three point game. We were trying to push it to six. It was like a fourth and two. I was saying, well, are we going to go for it or not? We ended up kicking the field goal and missing. And I was like, oh no. You know, on the same drive where, that they dropped that interception in the end zone, too. Yeah, yeah. And this is where I think Mel Tucker's, you know, ethos of toughness, mental toughness, um, playing smart, staying true to yourself really came into play because we could have very easily been like, God, we just don't, we're just not making the plays we need to. And Michigan could have taken advantage of that and really put their, you know, put their foot down. But we stood tall. Our defense just continued to do what it did. And Michigan throughout the fourth quarter just couldn't make plays. I know they had that touchdown drive at the end, but we were playing back because we had a two score lead under four minutes and we were just letting them drain the clock, you know, let them short completions, tackle them inbounds, let that clock run. And that's exactly what happened. And they just ran out of time. So um, yeah, I mean, credit to our defense and really, really credit to our coaching staff. Like I said, the fundamentals in this game are phenomenal. The offensive line came, you know, far and away much better performance than last week they did what they needed to to protect rocky and give him a position to to be successful uh the tackling was phenomenal um the scheme worked well we attacked their vulnerabilities we took advantage of our strengths and i think it's really a win obviously that our coaching staff can hang their hat on and and point to in the future you know when maybe we're not super confident and uh yeah i mean one other thing you know connor hayward deserves credit he got a lot of flack, rightfully so, when he, you know, went into the transfer portal because he wasn't getting his playing time and then pulled his name back out. And a lot of people last week were really surprised to see him get the start, myself included. I still don't know if it was the right call. Um, and we can talk about Eli Collins a little bit if we want to. But Connor Hayward, he knows his place 
in this team. It is to pass block and it is to be a receiver. And he did both of those things very well. We have to give him carries if he's going to be involved in the passing game because you got to keep the defense honest. And he rushed just about as well as anyone. Jordan Simmons probably had a little bit better day on the ground. But, you know, nobody's really excelling from that backfield on, on the ground. And Connor Hayward consistently makes plays. You talk about Rocky Lombardi having time to throw the ball. A lot of that was obviously the offensive line, but a lot of that was Connor Hayward sitting back there and putting his chin on defenders that are rushing through the center of the uh, protection. So I want to give Connor Hayward a huge shout out. He had two touchdowns. Second one was a really athletic play. First one was a great route where he got outside leverage on a linebacker and just held it down the, um, down the goal line and, and Rocky made a good throw there. So I think Connor Hayward, he deserves his credit here and he's becoming a dynamic part of this offense, not necessarily in the way that we would expect a Michigan state running back to get involved, but he had a phenomenal game. And I mean, he scored 14, of, well, 12 of our points, but two of our three touchdowns. So um, I know Ricky white was the story here, but don't overlook Hayward. Yeah. And that just, you know, it goes to show that, that we talked about at the beginning, like every position group, every player, was like night and day from week one to week two. And Connor Hayward was definitely not an exception to that. Rocky Lombardi was definitely not an exception to that. I mean, the pass rush, that was probably the biggest thing, the biggest change from week one to week two. As much as Rocky improved, as much as Hayward improved, as much as Ricky White came out, the pass rush from week two to week one to week two was absolutely staggering difference. And uh, it just, this team is going to be a roller coaster to watch. And that's going to be clear, I think. But <laughs> yeah. um, I, you, you just go to, for me, if, if we're looking at one more drive, I, I want to point this out because Michigan State is up three points. We're up 20 to 17. Rocky Lombardi in this offense gets the ball with nine minutes and 50 seconds left on their own eight-yard line. They march down the field, 11 plays, 92 yards. They take four and a half minutes off the clock and put the dagger in this game. You make this a two-possession game. You run the time off the clock. And that was that was the moment where you look at Rocky Lombardi. Um, look, there was a lot of plays in the running game. There was a couple plays uh, where uh, he just made great throws. There was a savvy play where he had the – he had like a little crossing route to McDonald and then they lined up and he saw that on the left side of the formation, he had two receivers out there and they had one defensive back and then nobody else was even remotely close to the formation. I don't know what was going on there. Rocky saw that he's calling for the quick snap, snaps the ball, gets the ball out there, gets an easy first down. And that was just something where you saw that, look, this kid I, I'll, I, again, I'll eat my crow. I'll, I'll put my foot in my mouth because the criticisms I had of him last week, I, I think some of them still might be true. Look, he, he struggles on accuracy uh, on some of these short throws, but his presence in the pocket night and day from last week, his, his just game managing ability in, in a good way, right? We, we throw around this term game manager, like it's a bad thing, but to really manage the game and understand the situation and understand the defensive formations and understand the, the time, the down, the distance. I think he did an awesome job of that all night, all day, excuse me. And that, 
again, 11 plays, 92 yards, four and a half minutes off the clock to go up 10 points. Unbelievable drive by Rocky in this offense and just shows that toughness, that grit that that I think is going to be a, a staple in, in Mel Tucker and in this program. So um, I, I, I think this is a good time. We I want to kind of, you know, start wrapping this thing up here the last 15 minutes or so and get to some big picture thoughts. Um, I, I have a couple comments on, on Twitter and on Instagram, because uh, this is, I, I think, really important um, and, and encapsulates a lot of the things that, that we were mentioning, because look, we, we both predicted this team to be either four and four and five and three. Um, so while I'm pulling up these, <laughs> these comments here, and I know somebody mentioned it, and that's the reason I want to start there. Is that back on the table? Well, yeah. I mean, when I look at this rivalry, I look at it as like a, I think of an hourglass where you've got two sides to it, obviously the MSU and the, and the Michigan side. And usually one side is on top and, and the sand's draining and you wonder how long it's going to take for that sand to run out and somebody's going to flip the hourglass back over. It felt like Michigan was sitting on the top of the hourglass the sand was all there. It was, if it was even trickling into our program at all, you know, they, it's, it felt like they had taken firm control. Everybody's ready. Like, okay, here comes our whooping. We're going to have to just get through this one and look to next year for this rivalry. And Mel Tucker just flipped it. He just turned it back over. He said, Nope, it, we're not here. You know, you look at Michigan state, we were like, geez, we're, we're lower than we thought, you know, after that Rutgers loss, we, our program is, is in a worse state than most people even thought knowing it was in a bad state. And the Michigan fans were thinking, we got our quarterback, our scheme's coming together. This is our year, blah, blah, blah. And then one game, that all flipped. And now Harbaugh's seat has never been hotter. And Mel Tucker is looking like a god, the second coach ever to beat Michigan in his first try. I don't think anybody's probably ever had a bigger first win as an MSU coach. Granted, not many uh, coaches get a chance to play Michigan that early in the season, but um, yeah, I mean, this was just, it was exactly what Mel Tucker needed to, to get this fan base excited. And uh, I mean, I don't know how much we want to go over, you know, talking about Michigan, but they're in a really bad place. They have Indiana, you know, they're going to Indiana, a really strangely strong Indiana team this year. Um, you know, they're going there next week with their hands full and uh, it's, uh, it's not looking good in Ann Arbor anymore. And last week it was looking, you know, it was looking like roses. So um, it's, yeah, that's... it was an incredible turn of events. That's a, a an interesting place to take it because I, I put out a call on Twitter and on Instagram to to just get some takes, to get some questions for the pod today. And um, I, I have two of my good buddies from high school, uh, resident former Michigan fans that went to Michigan State, and they're both, uh, one of them more than the other are still kind of focused on the Michigan side. But Danny Myers at D underscore Myers four on Twitter said, does Jim leave for the NFL? And kind of on a related note, you have Dave Racy, it's your boy, 41. Uh, Terrible game plan from Michigan is my biggest takeaway. I think it's time to move on from Harbaugh because this continues to happen. Also very good game plan by Michigan State, attacked Michigan at their weakness, very disappointed. So it's funny that two of the of the handful of responses I got were both Michigan centric after that comment. But yeah, I, I mean, look, the the mo of Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, basically since he got there, was 
he's going to win the games he should win. If if he's favored in in the point spread, if he's favored in this game, he's going to win. He's going to going to make it look easy most of the time. Uh, it's just the only thing things that he needs to work on is beating the teams that are better: the Ohio States, the Penn States, the the Wisconsin's, the the Florida States that they play in the bowl game, that type of opponent. And this throws all of that out the window because you're playing at home against a rival and you're 25 point favorite. And so I, I look the the question Michigan has to really start thinking about this because if this is what you accept as a football program, as quote, the winningest program in college football history as the blue, you know, the blue blood that they think they are, are, do they really just continue accepting nine and 10 win seasons where you're not beating your rivals, where you're not winning the conference. And now you're at a point where you're even losing some of these games that, that you're favored by three touchdowns. So um, that's an interesting point, and, and I'm really curious to see. I, I mean, it, it's all going to depend on how Michigan finishes off this year, but yeah, I, I would say Jim Harbaugh is absolutely on the hot seat. Yeah, yeah, and you look at, I mean, I, I think I texted you this right before we got on here, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's beat Ohio State or pack your bags for Jim Harbaugh this season, especially if he drops you know, one or more of these games, Indiana, Wisconsin, Penn State, that are all looking like tough matchups. Wisconsin game, we don't really know if they're going to play it or not yet, but um, they've got a tough schedule. Uh, They expected to win this game. They didn't expect to have to deal with this situation. If you're looking at a Jim Harbaugh squad that lost three or four games this year, including Michigan, Ohio State, and then, like I said, Penn State or Wisconsin, maybe even Indiana, I mean, that's that's a bad year are you are you just going to give him a pass because it's you know COVID it's a weird year he didn't have a lot of prep time whatever whatever but I mean you're really out of excuses at this point he's he's brought in different coordinators he's brought him back out you can clearly see he's kind of hamstringing his coordinators like you know I'm sure Josh Gaddis didn't want to go wildcat on the goal line two straight plays but (laughs) Jim Harbaugh just does weird things like that where he thinks he just overthinks the situation and puts his teams in in bad situations and it it's starting to cost them games. So, um, yeah, I mean, I know this is an MSU podcast, so we, you know, like you said, it'll, we'll have to just see how it plays out over in Ann Arbor this season. Um, but I can say, I'm sure glad it was our team that put him on the ropes because it, it feels great to throw them back into chaos. Oh my God. It's, it's perfect. And, and I, I just love the conversation of like, I, and I've asked this to all of my Michigan fans 15 times already like where does Michigan even go from here? Because this was the dream hire. This was the guy that he brought San Diego from nothing to something. He brought Stanford from nothing to something. He brought the 49ers to a Super Bowl berth. Like this was the guy. He was a Michigan guy, everything. Where do they even go from here? I, I really, it's fascinating for me, but um, yeah, a couple other. I saw one guy on <laughs> scrolling through Twitter and one guy said, Fire Harbaugh, it's time to go out and get Woodson. I, I, I mean, I'm sure it was just some random guy on Twitter, but if their fans are seriously discussing firing Jim Harbaugh, who went to a Super Bowl, oh, to I hire love Charles it. Woodson, who has never coached a day in his life, they are it. in a bad place. <laughs> I I need to be a fly on the wall in like the – the because I've scrolled through MGo blog, and, and I highly recommend – any Michigan state fan, if you haven't done so already, like if, if you're just, maybe you come into work on Monday 
and you had a great weekend, but your boss throws some stack of paperwork on your desk and you're just, you're back to square one in the work week. Take your lunch break today and just, just take a little gander at MGO blog because it's panic, it's chaos, it's fire everybody, it's cut the entire roster. It's so good. It, it is so good. Uh, but to bring this back to MSU, a couple Twitter things that I want to address and, and Instagram as well. Um, a, a similar point here, Kevin Collins on Instagram said, uh, when I asked for his take, said four and four is a legitimate possibility. Um, I know JREL uh, on Twitter, he also mentioned, uh, he, had the, he asked the question, does this win change everyone's expectations for this season? That's at rel2true on Twitter, one of my guys. Um, so I, I guess that's, that's, that's an interesting talking point because I had Michigan state going four and four, Scott, you had them going five and three. And after the Rutgers game, we entirely throw that out the window and we say, I, I don't know, maybe we'll beat Maryland. But even after this week, like you, you see Maryland come out on Friday night and beat Minnesota and, and we're back to like, are, are, are we going to go winless? Like, are we, are we going to win a game? And then all of a sudden we come out. We beat Michigan on the road and like suddenly that's back on the table. I wrote this down because we both had MSU going 500 or better. And we both had us one and one after these two games. Now, of course, neither of us predicted which one would be the win and which one would be the (laughs) loss, but it's like, which one, which one and one is better. The one and one where we beat Rutgers and lose to Michigan or the one and one where we lose to Rutgers and beat Michigan. Yeah, yeah, I had the same thought. Obviously, I'd love to be 2-0. If it was a different year, I think that Rutgers win or loss, excuse me, would be haunting us. We'd be like, oh, my God, imagine the possibilities if we hadn't lost that game. This isn't really the year to worry about something like that because it's weird already. We don't even know if there will be bowl games to make it into if we are 500. I, I'm not super concerned about that loss. It was obviously terrible, but this makes up for everything, in my opinion. And you look at the schedule, Iowa looks, I would say, moderately to a lot worse than I expected. Um, they're really struggling to get their gears turning. And Maryland, I mean, it's just going to be a wild game. We're going to have to see what they really are. Northwestern looks strong, but I think it's still winnable. We're going to be playing that at home. And Indiana, um, we'll get a good sense over the next couple of weeks exactly what they are. But again, there's winnable games. Five and three, it would take probably four straight wins or five straight wins here. The next four coming out of this one, um, obviously with the two big ones at the end of the season. But um, yeah, I mean, I think the goals are in front of us again, whatever those may be. I think the fan base is going to be far more confident. I am interested to see what's going to happen when we get back to a more regular, you know, um, defensive scheme against us. Don Brown definitely plays a unique scheme where he's putting those guys on islands. When you have less talented cornerbacks you're typically not going to give those one-on-ones as often so we'll see if Rocky is at some point this season going to have to make more of those tighter window shorter throws so we'll see what that leads to but I mean like you said this our expectations are back on the table it's a weird year sitting with a Rutgers loss and a Michigan win but uh, the excitement's back and this is like I said before this is a, a win that the coaches and the players can hang their hat on they can draw from when things get tough later in the season and it proves that they can beat good teams on the road. I mean, if you can win this game, you can look at pretty much most games on your schedule and say, hey, we got a shot. 
I mean, there's really only one, obviously, that I can see on our schedule where it's really not looking like we do, which is obviously Ohio State. But even Penn State, they, they've got their holes and stuff. So uh, we'll see how this plays out. There's still a lot of unanswered questions. But like I said, the excitement is back at East Lansing. And uh, the Mel Tucker era, I would say, is off to a better start, even with the Rutgers loss than most people expected. Yeah, just just hop on Twitter and, and look for uh, the the Cedar Village <laughs> posts after the game. I mean, the excitement in East Lansing is definitely back. And I, I, I was going back and forth with a couple people about that. It's like on one hand, with all the COVID stuff, like, yeah, it's probably a bad look. But look, I, these are drunk college kids doing what drunk college kids do. And if you if you ask me at 26 years old, Hey, are you going to be out partying with everybody on, on, uh, in Cedar village? The answer is no. But if you ask drunk 20 year old me, the answer is absolutely. So I, I'm, I, I, there's a lot of people out there criticizing like, Oh, don't these kids understand we're in a pandemic. Like I get it, but guys just take yourself back to college for a second. Remember it's college kids doing college stuff. So I just wanted to mention that, but, um, couple other Twitter comments that I want to make sure we get to. I know we're, we got to wrap this thing up. Um, SL Brownie on Twitter, Scott L Brown. He had a couple comments. The first was uh, first game takes are very difficult. If MSU doesn't have seven turnovers, we probably easily beat Rutgers. Minnesota may not be very good uh, parentheses losing to Maryland, which explains Michigan's easy win. Either way, all caps with about a thousand exclamations, Paul's coming back, baby. Yes. And then 11 hours later, Scott L. Brown. Yes, I've been up for two hours because I'm still so pumped about the W. So did so did anyone else have a complete meltdown when we started handing the ball off instead of taking a knee? It would have been nice if Fox Sports could actually count timeouts. And I'm glad he mentioned that because oh I forgot to bring it up. God. I was losing my mind. And, and my girlfriend was laughing at me because, you know, she's not the biggest football fan in the world. And she's like, I, I thought you guys just won, you know, because I, I was telling her, like, if we get this onside kick, the game's over. Like, we win. She's like, I thought you won. And I'm, like, pacing frantically up and down the living room. Like, <laughs> what in the world are we doing here? Why are we running plays? Like, and, uh, yeah, so that was a definite moment of panic. Uh, I'm, I'm glad it ended up working out and they ended up explaining it and the, the afterwards, but Oh my God, that was pure panic. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was also in full meltdown mode. I, I, I had no explanations. I was like, there's no way Mel Tucker doesn't know he needs to kneel the ball right now. Like I, I was like, okay, I'm ready to fire him. Like he's gonna, he might win this game, but just fire him. If he, if he doesn't do that, just, no, I can't. I can't have this as my coach. You, you envision but, trouble with the snap going through your head, and you're like, I do not need this to go opposite. I do not need this right yeah. now. And shout out to Connor Hayward for holding on to the ball on those three carries. Shout out to Rocky and the offensive line. And for getting, getting the outside kick. Two, two and a Connor half Hayward. yards. Yep, yep. And, and, you know, that was just that last fourth and two we needed was kind of a microcosm of the whole game. We just got just enough push to make the play. Um, we made the plays we needed all day, um, and that was the last one, and, and we got to uh, enjoy the win there. Never got into victory formation, um, but that's okay. You know, we did what we needed to, and, uh, yeah, I, I just couldn't be happier about this game. Yeah, and uh, Rocky Lombardi mentioned after the game that Mel basically gave him full autonomy there, and he said 
look, if you think you can get those two yards, go ahead and take it. And that was, that was a moment where you, you really look at the trust between head coach and quarterback and for him to put the game on the line, put the game in his hands and just say, Hey, look, if you don't feel comfortable with this, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. But if you think you can get those two yards, go take it. So I, I love that the trust between the coach and the quarterback. And now, uh, I, I think what I, I, what I want to do is, is I want to save Luke's question for next podcast, because I think this is going to take a, a second to really dive into. Um, it's a two-part question. So Luke, if you're listening, I know you are, uh, I'm, I'm not forgetting about you. I just think it's, there's two great questions in here that I think are going to take a little bit of time to really dig into. He says, excellent coach game. Uh, number one, what did you think of Johnson's first half play calling? And number two, does this win flip Rayshon Benny from Michigan lean to an MSU lean? And that's, I, I want to save this because one thing I did wrote right down in the big picture thing is does this impact recruiting not only in the state of Michigan, but nationally because Mel Tucker's a national guy and you lose to Rutgers week one. And it's like, you know, end of the world. This is a program that I'm just writing off. And then you go back and win this game. You for you, you showcase, you showcase the skill position players and you show them like, look, if you come here, you're going to have an opportunity to make plays. I, I think there's a lot to dig into between the play calling and the recruiting side. So Luke, I, I promise I'll get to that question on Thursday's episode. I think it's great. I, I just don't think we have time to really dig into that right now. Um, Scott, before we wrap this thing, any last comments about Mel Tucker's first win in East Lansing, first win on the road in Ann Arbor, taking down khaki pants in the Michigan Wolverines? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, this is this is the game you hang your hat on. It brings the excitement back to the program. I think it brings belief back not only to the players and to the the fan base, but to Mel Tucker and his coaching staff that, Hey, we can hang with the big dogs. Our schemes are working. We just got to keep implementing them and teaching the fundamentals. And, uh, Literally. you know, you look at the next four games on this schedule, we'll see what IU ends up being, but we could have a stretch here where if this team, if this isn't an aberration, it's not just a hyped up rivalry game. And it really is, you know, that we have a skilled team here. Uh, we could be looking at a season that exceeds expectations. So, Again, don't want to project too much. Uh, we'll break down some more uh, later in this week in the Iowa preview. But, uh, yeah, thrilled about this. Love Mel Tucker. Tuck coming. Tuck's still coming. Excited to see what's next. Yeah, so uh, I, I hope everybody out there enjoyed the game, enjoyed the weekend, had a good, safe, you know, fun weekend. And uh, you can always, as, as always, Follow me on Twitter at Standing Room MSU. Follow Scott on Twitter at Spartan Martin 18. Uh, if you haven't done so already, please, please, please leave a review on Apple Podcast. It really helps us out, um, you know, continuing to get our name out here at the beginning of the season. The, the listens, the views have, have just gone up and up and up as this season has started off. So I really appreciate all the support, but continue to, uh, share the podcast with your friends, your family, anybody that you think would enjoy hearing about MSU football. I, I love the interaction on Twitter. The engagement's been awesome. It's been a whole lot of fun. So uh, make sure you follow on social media. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. You tell your friends and leave a review if you can, if you haven't already. 
uh, and, and let's get this thing done. So I really quick, I did record another immediate reaction. There's about five minutes that's going to be tacked on to the end of this. Um, it just like literally we, the, the clock hit zeros. I grabbed my headphones and I just started recording. So it's about five minutes. Uh, I, I hope you enjoy that. It was after a few beers. So um, you'll probably recognize that as you're listening, but that'll be tacked on to the end of here. Um, but yeah, hope everybody has a great Monday. Hope everybody has a great week talking shit to your Michigan fans that, that you have at work, that you have in your family. Um, we have bragging rights for another 365 days or whatever it takes. Um, Paul Bunyan's back in East Lansing, baby. So go green. Have a great Monday. Holy moly. This is the, the immediate reaction live recording right after uh, Connor Hayward lands on the onside kick. Rocky Lombardi gets the quarterback sneak. Uh, after, you know, Jesus, the Fox broadcast and everything uh, really threw us for a loop at the end there. But, oh, my God. Um, Mel Tucker gets his first win as an MSU head coach at Michigan. 24.5-point underdogs. Uh, speaking of which, I didn't even think about it during the game. Boy cashed a $100 ticket. On that, I put some uh, sprinkled ten bucks on the money line, uh, ten to one odds on Michigan State. Whew. Um, man, I don't even know what to say right now. Rocky Lombardi, I was blatantly wrong about him. Uh, showed just everything you wanted in this game. I mean, chucking the ball downfield accurately, and these receivers, holy cr- Ricky White. The freshman coming up huge. I, I mean, every single catch he made from our own two-yard line, uh, third downs. He had the first touchdown in the game. Uh, the, the first drive coming out of halftime. I mean, every time he made a catch, it was a big play. And in big clutch situations, the true freshman just unconscious out there. Um, man, I mean... The running game didn't really work, but I don't care uh, because Rocky Lombardi and these wide receivers clearly got something going on. And this defense, how about this defense, man? Antoine Simmons leading the charge for a group that just played out of their damn minds. Defensive line was getting pressure all day. I think if you had to give, you know, what's, what's the one thing that improved the most from week one to week two? It's that defensive line, man. Uh, Jacob Panishuk coming off the edge. Chase Klein lining up as an edge guy coming off uh, as a stand-up edge coming around, getting pressure on Joe Milton all game long. Naquan Jones in the middle getting pressure all day long. I mean, Joe Milton was never comfortable back there in the pocket. He was spraying the ball all over the field, even though Joel Klatt was comparing him to the, the love child of Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, and Joe Montana. Um, that's another, I I don't even want to talk about the broadcast right now because I'm way too amped up. Um, yeah, 24 and a half point underdogs. Mel Tucker brings this team into Ann Arbor and whoops their ass from the first minute. Um, I, I mean, we're in control of this game the whole way. And if, if you told me that this was going to be the case, I I wouldn't believe you, but let's just say it that way. Um, 
Yeah, I, I mean, there, there's just there's not much else to say right now. I mean, it, we'll we'll go back. I'll rewatch this tomorrow, and and we'll get into the real analysis of how this happened. But man, the pass rush was awesome. Linebackers were awesome. Noah Harvey stepped up. He was making plays. Antoine Simmons. Again, just all over the field, man. This dude, I've said it from day one, is an NFL player. Secondary played well. Uh, You know, I just... Special teams, Coughlin played well, even though though he did have the one missed field goal. Uh, But, you know, he he put him through when we needed him to. He's been awesome on the kickoffs today. Uh, These receivers, man. These receivers, and they're young. They're talented. They're electric playmakers. Uh, I, I'm so excited. And what a turn. What, what, what a turn. I, you take this this exact time. It's, what what time is it even right now? I don't even know. 3.30, 3.45, 50, whatever it is, uh, on a Saturday afternoon. And you compare how everybody's feeling right now to how we were feeling at this time last week. And uh, <laughs> this, is, this is the beauty of college football, man. This is the beauty of being a fan. This is the beauty of sports. I absolutely love it. So Mel Tucker, uh, this next beer is for you. Uh, Michigan State, th- this team is going to be a roller coaster, I can tell right now, but um, about to crack another beer for these guys. I'm so excited and uh I know you guys enjoyed that game as well. Just wanted to hop on and give the very immediate reaction again. The, literally, Rocky Lombardi just they announced the, the official's review, and I immediately uh, plugged in my headphones here. I didn't even have time to go and grab my microphone and set that up. I, I just wanted to get my emotions out right away for you. Uh, go green. This is the best I've felt about Michigan State football in in five years uh, man this is this is incredible so i hope you guys uh, enjoy this at the end of the monday podcast I'll, I'll slip it in at the end again we'll we'll go back and, and do the analysis and stuff but holy crap uh, <laughs> this is this is awesome go green baby